Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. Thanks very much for joining me. Uh, this is another episode of Legends of the Spire, uh, the podcast that talks to the former players and managers of Chesterfield Football Club. Now this is amazingly the 50th former player or manager that I've spoken to on the podcast. It's taken me, what, 14, 15 months to get there um, and it's been an amazing journey. So uh, thanks to everyone that has uh, supported along the way. Hopefully there's another 50 to come and we can get to 100. Uh, who knows? Uh, we'll see. Uh, ask me again in about a year's time. <laughs> but in the meantime, for the 50th episode, I spoke to Neil Trotman. Now, he joined Chesterfield uh, back in 2011. Uh, it was a swap deal for Dean Holden that took him to Rochdale and brought Neil to us. Uh, it was during John Sheridan's first stint at the club. Uh, and he played in defence alongside people like Simon Ford, Josh Thompson. And then when Paul Cook joined, uh, people like Liam Cooper and Sam Hurd. Now, he was really honest about the career and the journey that he had. He suffered a lot of injuries along the way, including a stroke in training at one point. Had uh, kind of low moves, had big moves, a uh, £500,000 move to Preston, um, was released at one point. So he's had a really interesting journey. And then he had to retire when he was in his late 20s as well. All of that experience, though, it did mean that he has moved on into a career as both a football agent and a psychotherapist. Um, so all that experience that he's had in the past uh, has really helped him to be able to guide the next generation of players uh, through a career in the game. And we had a chat in the second half of the podcast about what changes he thinks could be made uh, to help players in that journey. As always, we are at Spy Legends on uh, Twitter and Instagram, Legends of the Spy on Facebook, so please do get in touch. Uh, and do let me know what you think about the podcast. It was absolutely great having Neil on. Speaks really well about the game, and he's obviously uh, got himself a great career post-playing as well. So here we are with the latest episode, and it's with Neil Trotman. Enjoy. You're like a Manchester boy, aren't you? So I suppose you either join a band or play football, if you're from Manchester. Yeah, football. Football was the one. Um, around Manchester, there's a big Sunday League team, a really good Sunday League team called Fletcher Moss. Mm. A few of the um, United players used to play there as well. They got Wes Brown, Wes Brown Rashford, um, Daniel Welbeck. Yeah, so it's like um, a nice little club to kind of get recognised and kind of put your talent out there, really. And that's how I got found out, really. It was to um, play to the league. And, yeah, I ended up getting scouted by Burnley, which was at like 14, which was um, which was great. I kind of always imagined it to kind of happen at 14, which is kind of strange again. So I just so happened I got scouted at 14. And, yeah, kind of that was that was my pathway, really. Were you always a defender then? Yeah, yeah. I, I say no, I always want to be midfielder, but in terms of the way I used to, how I played and what was good at, I was, I'll definitely say I was always been a defender. Yeah, I tried to go midfield, but I just wasn't good enough for that. Was that was that to do with uh, kind of how you played, or or was it like you know you had your growth spurt at the time <laughs> you just automatically got put there? Um, growing up, I loved Paul Ince. Hmm. Um, I loved Paul Ince, and um, he was a midfielder. I just thought he was involved more as a midfielder. Um, he could do more. You could obviously striker or midfielder or a winger whatever it was you kind of get more of the, of the attention you could say defenders just well now, nowadays to do obviously you've got the Van Dykes the Ramesses etc they get the, kind of all the plaudits as well but back then it was mainly just a midfielder or a striker really got all the plaudits and recognition really just there to head it and kick it <laughs> exactly that yeah I kind of made a career out of it as well so I can't really complain but um, it was still yeah it was, I was good at it I really I just loved playing football 
really love playing football. I've got a twin brother and we both used to always play football. We both got scouted at 14 actually as well. And um, yeah, we just always used to play with each other. It was great. Just playing in the garden all day and all night really. It was great. And you were the captain of the youth team at Burnley, weren't you? Right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, first, I was actually, I think I was a made captain midway through my first year, actually, I think it was. So it was, because um, I ended up, I was playing for the youth team in um, in year 11. So I knew all the players anyway, and obviously um, I stood out. Um, moved to the youth team, was captain, first and second year. And it was really good. The, um, the, the first year was actually quite tough, actually, in terms of results, because we didn't really... Um, we just did experience with a lot of first years playing against second and third years back then. I think, it's, I think in terms of the third years, and that stopped it, didn't it? But um, yeah, we were experienced. And then obviously the second year, we did really well. We play who was in my youth team? Kyle Lafferty. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah, Kyle Lafferty, Chris McCann, Mark Pugh. Um, and about a year or two younger, but he did play with us a couple of times, Jay Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, yeah, we had a really good, I had a good time at Burnley. I left that six, left home at sixteen, which was a bit of um, a shock to the system. I'd grown up in Manchester, city boy, mm-hmm. in the city, and then moving to Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was a bit of um, it was tough. I think the first couple of months I was a bit homesick, and um, yeah, I got used to it. And then after that, yeah, I just kind of I just tried to get my head down, really, which I tried to do, but unfortunately, I got released, didn't I? But um, yeah, sorry, during my time at Burnley, it was great. It was um, in terms of me developing into a man, and you could tell I wasn't really a man, but kind of seeing the world in a different way, really, because the way I saw from, from what the world was was just me being a man, just busy, mm. you know, everything lit up and just probably more of the um, in your face type of people. With the Burnley, everybody was quite reserved. So just got to see that kind of side of it. What's it like being a captain at such a young age? Like how do you how do you handle it? Because I suppose there's it, you, I don't know. I suppose you've got to have some confidence about you, haven't you, to be able to handle it? Um, yeah, yeah. In terms of that, I mean, more of like a presence, and obviously, if you get along with a lot of the players, um, I think the manager looks for that really, and maybe leave, um, lead by example in terms of performances. I was captain in school as well, yeah. um, for at the time of Sunday League, and. Um, yeah, it was good to answer your question. Yeah, it, it, it felt good. It felt great. It kind of felt natural in a way. I didn't, I wasn't like, well, no, I'm captain. It's more of like, yeah, so it should be, if that makes sense. Because I know I, yeah. I know, I was good enough to do that, but not in a cocky way. It was just kind of like, yeah, I can, I can do this. Let's crack on with it, really. Some people just kind of naturally slot into those roles, don't they? It's maybe just something that's part of your personality or something like that. You probably, you probably are just a natural leader and just never really think about it. Yeah, a few people have said that. I think I'm just myself. I don't know if I'm not trying to be anything. I'm, I'm not really. I just continue to be my authentic self. And from there, yeah, it kind of helped me throughout my career. And I, I'm guessing that's probably what it was in terms of um, being captain. I think when I spoke, I listened to people, but they also listened to me, which was great. Uh, and like you mentioned, so you, then you ended up at Oldham, which was like John Sheridan pops up. <laughs> for the yeah, first sure. Time. Still at Oldham. <laughs> yeah, like a, I know, like yeah, because even now. It's a funny one with, um, with the Oldham situation, because um, my second year at Burnley, I actually got released. I got released at 18, during my second year scholar it was. I I'd actually thought I didn't enough to kind of get my third year, but um, just wasn't meant to be, which is fair enough. Um, at the time, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me, because I had to grow up a lot. Um 
I was really obviously when you you kind of your dreams have completely gone. So um, yeah, I really had to grow up a lot. I really had to look within myself. I couldn't blame anybody because I know it's easy to do that. I'm really the only person I could blame is myself for not kind of for is, I blame myself for giving me an excuse not to give me a contract, if that makes sense. Yeah. And from there, in the summer, it was really frustrating. But I just the day I got released, I I just knew I had to do something. I just had to do something. And um at the time, my friends, I've got, I've got a twin brother, so we've got, we have the same friends. They were all going away on holiday. And I just thought, if I'm going away on holiday, what does that look like? Um, don't want it. So, yeah, I turned it down um, to go away. And I just thought, no, I need to really focus on what I want to do moving forward. Because it's funny when you don't realise how much you want to be a footballer until you get released. <laughs> and um, I was like, right, yeah, the penny actually dropped me then. Um, so to go back to shares. I was calling around lots of clubs when I got released and obviously nobody's like, no, we don't need a centre-half. The public didn't really know who I was, really. It was just a matter of, oh, yeah, another footballer just wants to kind of, he's been released and expects a chance just because you want it, if that makes sense. So um, I tried, I must have called about 10 to 15 clubs. Both, all of them said, no, I'm just by chance. I think um, somebody at Burnley knew the manager at Oldham, Tony Philiskirk, and um, they said, uh, spoke to Tony and said, yeah, and Trots has been released. Would you um, be interested? And I played against Oldham a lot. I actually played for Oldham when I was 12. Mm-hmm. Played for, yeah, I saw a lot of the players who were playing for the U team kind of went through and I, so I kind of knew him. I knew about six or seven of them actually. And um, we played against, we played them in the final when I was in my second year. We beat them, we played them in the semi-final, sorry. And I think it ended up 5-4 or something. It was a great game. And um, just always played well. Always played. And Shez was the U team manager then like, um, for Oldham. And I remember after the game, we beat them 5-4. He looked at me and just said, well played. You've got a really good chance in the game. Keep doing what you're doing. And that was, to be fair, about two, three weeks later, I got released. But <laughs> he said at the time, I knew like Shez liked it, which was nice. I didn't really think much of it then at the time because obviously I was going down my own pathway. And then um, yeah, I got a call of Tony Philiskirk a couple of weeks after I got released. And he said, yeah, do you want to come down? It's pre- for pre-season. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Of course I would. So I've seen you play. Um, I really like it. So he really shot Burnley released you it was um I still don't I can never understand why they did that and I was like at the time yeah I was a bit bitter but it is what it is I kind of I couldn't make them really want to go into too much detail because it's not gonna help my career is it really just mourning all the time about what happened but um yeah um I had that means I had kind of six weeks then to really prepare for um pre-season at Oldham and during that time I think um Shez got moved up to the reserves so he was the youth team manager and then he got moved up to the reserves and um, pre-season started. I remember Shez, I'll never ever forget it. He said, um, said, keep your head down, you've got a great chance here. I said, it's a good pathway here at the club, you just need to keep your head down, work hard and I think you'll do it. I think you'll get to the first team. That was the beginning of pre-season so even that wasn't enough for me to kind of write, right, come on, let's, let's crack on now. So, um, but prior to that, while my friends were away on holiday, I was training every day just making sure I was ready really so I'd have no excuses when I went to pre-season and pre-season started really really well it was um I was pretty much on fire yeah it was great to be honest I was doing so well training playing and um the downside I know if I get the day the downside I remember the first um, day um pre-season it kind of because I got paid off um the PFA then because I was not I wasn't contracted to anybody I was just on trial at Oldham and I thought I was going to get more than what I did. And at the time, that's when I realised as well, it was kind of a setback, but it was more of like a reality check. And I was on £35 a week 
at the time. I know at the time it's still money, but at the time you're like, yeah, I'm going to get through this. So yeah, I was on £35 a week and even that was like, oh, no, how am I going to get through this? And um, anyway, that's, if I want this, if I want the money to go up, I need to play better. <laughs> I need to perform really. So um, yeah, I did um, I did that. But during pre-season, I got injured with an injury and um, that kept me out for until the so pre-season is in July. I didn't get back till the March, the following, um, yeah, next, the next year. Yeah. So it was a really tough injury. I had basically, I think it was about that much of meniscus out of my knee um, at um, 18, which is tough. I think people only get that even in their 30s or when they're coming towards the end of their, their careers. So that was um, that was tough. But I think mentally I, um, I had to really prepare myself because I was on trial. I wasn't contracted to anyone. Um so Thirty-five pounds a week, zero safety net at all. You could have absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So at the time, it was just literally just believing my ability. I just in the in the heart, I just believed that if I was fit and I worked hard, I, I just generally feel I'll get there. More left, I think. Where uh, money more got sacked from the holding, and then Shez moved up um, to be manager, and then um, he offered me a contract. He offered me a three-month contract. Um, at the beginning, it was just to prove my fitness, which was fair enough to be honest, because I was I've been injured for quite a while. Um, to what you just... had. <laughs> Three months is uh, <laughs> quite nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at the time, I was on two hundred pounds a week. I was on two hundred pounds a week, and at the time when he offered it me, um, I'd rewound back a, a year ago, and it's potentially oh, I was on thirty five pounds a week. So even then, it's progression in my way. Mm. And um, again, all I need to do is just stay fit for the three months do it properly and then from there hopefully I can extend it to the end of the season and um, yeah Shez was the manager then I, um, I, I did alright I was playing okay it's, during the three months it's interesting because you look at it and uh, in that period just from like reading your Wikipedia and everything but you, you go from in quite a short space of time just a couple of years from that to then like half a million pound move to Preston it's quite amazing that bit of progression, isn't it, in such a short, short space of time? Yeah, and that's why I believe in terms of football. Is a lot of it is completely mindset. It really is. I think what I had to go through for the first year, maybe two years, was just purely mental. It was just to get myself back. And I think once you're mentally right, I think you can, even if it's just a few appearances, you're ready already mentally because you've gone through what it is you need to go through to be consistent in a way. I played um, Rotherham away and um, I, ne- I had a stinker. It was an awful game. I never forget the way Shez, he came come in because he was a manager at the time and Lee Ducks was the reserve manager and he'd come in after the game and he just literally dug me out. He said, it, it, obviously, you know, Shez, he's not, <laughs> if you know what you, you can go in at you, if you know what I mean. And, um, yeah, that, he, he knew me quite well and it was kind of, yeah, he didn't hold back. He basically told me about yourself. He said, where do you think you're going? What do you, who do you think you are being the way you are and not performing? And it really got to me that. But it kind of, it made me react to the moment. Like, okay, I'm going to show you now. Like how I'm going to get there. And a few months later, I got the chance. I got the chance in the first year. I think I played, um, played at Princeton. He started my game. No, we played Hartlepool away. We got beat. And I come in at halftime, we did well. Um, what was that season before? I'm not sure when it was. But then the next game, he started me against Accrington. Did okay, we won. Um, but it, was, it was just okay, didn't perform great. And I was just on the bench again for the next couple of games. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, we come in from a game on Saturday, we're playing Bristol Rovers at home. And he said, um, 
he's read out, read out the team sheet and he read it out and I was like one of the first ones obviously the goalkeepers and defending I was like the hell starting I was, I was nervous I quickly went into um, the change I went into the toilet and texted my family so listen I'm starting come down quick because his old is not far from where they from where they um, live so I was like yeah come on I'll leave you some tickets I'm starting so they come down and uh, honestly you could say if you, I don't know if you if you was to watch that game you could tell there's a young kid making his debut who was just really nervous and it was every time I had the ball tried to touch his feet, it was just in the stand straight away. I was up, I was up against um, Ricky Lambert as well. Okay. And uh, I know, yeah, but it was, it was a learning curve and uh, I got through it. <laughs> you find and, yourself uh, like, looking, like trying not to look around the crowd and the stadium and do you, do you find yourself uh, consciously trying to make uh, <laughs> decisions not to do things because you know that that many people are watching you or do you click into it? Maybe when you're walking out, in front of everyone, you turn around, you know, you line up, you're just looking around everyone, and um, okay, Neil, stay. But you look at your family, and um, it's all right, okay, I just kind of focus, you know what I mean. But then at the game, yeah, you, you, you're just naturally nervous sometimes, blocking out sometimes, you can't. But um, that was just a, that was just the game, which was just like, wow, okay, welcome to the big leagues. But then I think I needed that moving forward because I don't, I don't, I didn't look back from that game, which was just really good. I stayed in the team, I played really every game. I just, not in a big-headed way, I just felt I was the best player. I did, I just felt I was just the best player. And I was confident with that because of how hard I've worked. Um, and Chess, yeah, Chess was great. Tommy, Tommy Wright was great and so was Lee Ducks at the time. And um, I've got to move to Preston. <laughs> the rumours saying... Oh, I suppose, like, reputation can go up and down really quickly, can't it, in such a short space of time? And especially when you've got... Obviously, scouts are always at most games, aren't they? So you can quickly end up on a list, can't you, of like one to watch quite Yeah, quickly. yeah. And I suppose it can go for you and against you in some ways. But, yeah. Um, about it, yeah. yeah, that move to Preston, it's kind of, yeah, half a million quid. Do you, do you, did you, at that time, when you move for that kind of money, do you find yourself thinking about, thinking about it? Because I'll never be in a situation where another employer will come to my employer and say, we'll give you half a million quid. <laughs> Um, it's hard, isn't at it? The time, it's just yeah, the- it's crazy. Yeah, when you think about it now, it is actually yeah, it's bizarre. And um, but I, could, it was, I had a month of kind of talk. It's like, yeah, you're going to move possibly. There's, um, there's a good chance you'll move on. And actually, Tony Philiskirk he actually said to me, um, "What's what going to do?" I said, "I was thinking. I don't know. I might, I might stay. I wasn't. I wasn't really thinking about it. I said, I, I won't mind staying because I need the games, etc. I've only just really played. I've only played a few games, if anything." He said, "He said go. He said you should go." I said, as a as a um, staff employee for Oldham, I'd want you to stay. But as a friend, you should move on. You should really move on. And Shes said the same thing as well. Um, he said, as a mate, go. As a manager, obviously, yeah, for selfish reasons, I want you in the team so we can crack on again. But um, yeah, there was talk, I think for about a month, anyway, there's lots of talk with different clubs anyway. And um, you kind of at the start, I was like, yeah, that's a bit of a surprise. But after that, you kind of, the more games you play, and obviously with the pressure, of having to perform due to knowing that people are watching and still performing better than most. You, you kind of, yeah, I deserve it. You kind of believe that, yeah, I, I now know why they kind of want me because I feel like I'm better than the other player who other people have signed for more. Morecambe might have had hopes of an upset in the All-Lancashire Clash at Deepdale. Ian Craney fouled by Preston keeper Andy Lonergan on the half hour for a penalty. But Villain quickly became hero. Lonigan saving Mark Duffy's spot kick and Morecambe's chance had gone. Three minutes later, the championship side were ahead. Chris Brown with the far post header. 
corner produced yet another unchallenged header. Neil Trotman enjoying that one as Preston continued with their target practice. Yeah, Preston was really good. I enjoyed it. The lads were really good at Preston. Really good friends with um, Chris Brown, a striker there, who was like, yeah, okay, I got on really well with him. Preston was tough, though. The first year at Preston was probably, yeah, the first two years was probably one of the toughest situations they've been in terms of football career. I can, honestly, the only time I can relate it to was when I actually got released at Burnley mm. and when I got injured and joined that little period, that two, three month period. But I felt like that probably for the best part of a year. No, yeah, a year. I ended up playing, I ended up leaving for um, Preston in the January and um, I was on the bench with Preston with kind of in survival mode and none of the defenders were getting injured. They're just playing all the time, which is fine. And then towards the end of the season, I ended up playing a few games and I did really well. I think I ended up getting in. Um, I played three games and I got in team of the week three times, I think, and they joined during the three games. So I knew I was I was ready for this level. I, I, knew I, was, I, was, I was just completely ready. So the season finished with Preston. I ended up spending four or five months there in terms of being fit. And then I needed an injury. I needed a knee injury on my... On the same knee, I got injured with when I was at um, Preston. I am uh, um, sorry, I am um, Oldham. Didn't kept me out for a while. That knee was playing up. I um, it was a tough year. It was a tough year mentally. Um, I got through it. I kind of fell in love with, uh, fell out in love with football. To be honest, I um, I suffered a lot of injuries prior to. I think even I had, I had a couple at um, Burnley at the time. I had a groin operation. And then the operation on my other one. Then we told and had another knee operation. We were depressed and had a um, hernia operation um, in the January. Me, but I was fine after that in terms of a couple of, months, a couple of weeks. And then I had another knee operation, which was like a macro fracture, which was a drill into my knee, bone on bone, everything, which was really, really tough. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was so down hard. So I think the first couple of months I got through it in terms of it was just new money. I could kind of distract myself. Yeah. And um, but once once it really sunk in, probably. The team are doing really well, obviously, which is good for the team. But when you just don't feel a part of something, it's just like, man, what do we do? And actually, following that year, I got back fit in the properly anyway, April. Ended up going on loan to Colchester for a little bit. That was good. I think I played a couple of games there. The first couple of games was great. We played against Leicester. Um, got one under March. It was just playing against Leeds. It was it was nice to go on loan there. And uh, I got back and the team were doing so well. I just didn't feel a part of anything. I really didn't. And I, I was so stressed, I believe. Was the cause? I had a stroke. I had a stroke in the two thousand and nine. It was so I would have been twenty two. I had a stroke at the end of the season. I was training at Preston and just broke down in training. I just felt so dizzy. Um, playing possession games. I just had a stroke. Like I, I, that's the only way I can describe it. I went up to the, the physio room and even all the lads were like, "We're so they were, they were really worried." They were I was like, "What's happening?" I felt I felt okay in terms of like. I didn't think I was dying. I just felt something was up. Yeah, yeah. I ended up having a stroke, yeah, at 22. Um, so... How, how, but, do you, how do you get... How do you get past something like that when that happens? Because, I mean, you must have got close. Did you ever get close to just saying, actually, I'm just going to pack in football? You know, or, or is it... Oh, no, I never... I just felt... Um, well, the money was good. <laughs> wanted anything as well, but it's something what I've always wanted to do. I've, I, I want to. I'm a footballer. It's something I always wanted to do. Um, despite what people would advise, I'd like no. I'd always want to play because it's something. It's a part of me. 
and I've worked hard to get to this point. Obviously, health comes first, but I generally did feel okay. I say okay, I felt okay during the time, and that's why I didn't really make much of a big deal because I know people something don't make it sometimes out of that. So I didn't want to make it much of a big deal just for that reason. I was, yeah, I don't want to come across a lot of strokes. It's kind of, yeah, I've got through it, it's fine. But I know other people don't do that. So I thought, okay, now let's keep this under wraps. Also, it might be bad for my career to let everybody over the team know that I've had a stroke. Nobody will go near me. But it would have been in a medical record anyway. But um, yeah, so that that season was really, really tough. I just, um, I think I only played about four or five games. And then come pre-season, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Like, this is really a sports major at a time. So let's just get yourself ready and then we'll go again. Uh, for the season anyway went back to pre-season with uh, Ryan Irvine um, it's good I ended up going um, I needed a game so I had to go along I just needed games which I ended up going along to Southampton at the time we're in League One which was right. um, Northwest rule now Colchester and yeah, Southampton <laughs> yeah I know but, I, but at the time I was like do you know what I need change anyway I've been in the North quite a while let's just kind of probably give them all the injuries let's just see what the South's like really went to Southampton did well it was good um, played with some great players Reunited against the, the guy who I made my debut against, which was Ricky Lambert. Um, Lalana, Schneiderlin, Chamberlain trained a few times with us. Um, it was great. I couldn't really ask for much more. It was fantastic. Six minutes gone at Route Tour. That's a good delivery, though, and it's going to fall to Trotman, is it? Who stabs it home? His first goal for the club since signing on loan from Preston North End. And Southampton have the advantage. The initial header was well saved by Mildenhall, but Trotman was in the right place at the right time. It was there until January, and that's when Preston were like, okay, yeah, do you want to come back? And I was like, yeah, because I did, it was good. Um, but the nerve, I got sacked. And Ferguson arrived, I think, yeah, Ferguson um, come in. And he was like, I, I was like, listen, I need to keep some momentum going. I've just literally played 20 games for the first half of the season. I need that momentum continuing to like to, to carry on, really. So am I going to play with you or am I going to... Or otherwise, I'll go back out on loan. Anyway, I went out on loan to Huddersfield. Huddersfield hadn't tasted defeat at home since April, but the Canaries refused to be knocked off their lofty perch. They had to come from behind, though. Neil Trotman heading home in the third minute. Yeah, Huddersfield ended up playing all the rest of the games from January on to the end of the season. Ended up playing in the playoffs as well, the semi-final. Um, we got beat to Millwall, which they ended up going up, but they were really good. And um, I just remember sitting down with my agent um, because I was actually in hospital the year before watching Preston in the playoffs against Sheffield United. And after my stroke, mm. I was actually in the hospital bed just watching the playoffs. And then to, re- to fast forward an- another year, I was playing in that. So it's like it was a nice moment for me and my family, really, just to know that I'm back you know, I'm in the playoffs. Um, I kind of missed out on that, but I've kind of got my own little... Um, playoff going on as well with the team I'm at now which is Huddersfield so that was nice actually and um, so that season end, season ended um, I was shattered like first proper full season of, in, at professional level I've ever had like a 40 plus game because I didn't really have that old in um, so I was shattered that's what I needed the rest anyway went back to pre-season um, Ferguson had his own um, way of doing things he got rid of a lot of people it's disrupted a lot of um, things. I remember they were going away to Marbella and because obviously what I'd been through and needed games, they said to me, what's, 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 this, what's your plan with me? And they said, well, I usually go with three centre-backs, if I'm being honest, and you'll be number four. 
And when he said that, I was like, right, okay, I need to get myself out of the lawn because I can't afford to kind of wait around. I need games. And to be honest, by me being that naive, it kind of, he thought I was kind of like, like he was, I think he was kind of thought, well, who does he think he is? Like, he should yeah. be fighting for his place. But at the time, I just needed games. I, I needed games because I missed out on a lot of football. And um, maybe he didn't see it from that perspective. He probably well, he thought, like, he should be like to get into this team and fight for his place. But I just couldn't afford to wait again because I needed to play because I just needed to keep the momentum going because I've only had one full season. I'm obviously pushing nearly 23. I need another couple of games. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't I don't think he saw it um, the way I saw it and vice versa, really. So it's a breakdown in communication. And um, yeah, ended up moving. The contract went out, ended up playing a few games for Oldham towards the end of that season. Um, I think I played about 20 odd, which was all right. And then from there, I signed for Watchdale. Yeah. So it's an interesting time that then for Preston, isn't it? Because you've got like four loan moves and then you say it's like it's finding momentum, isn't it? But having to do a lot of moving at the same time. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, you can see how it would be hard to really ever feel like you've fully got going. Yeah. <laughs> feel a part of something, yeah. Get sacked and then, you know, it's uh, difficult, isn't it? Exactly. And um, bearing in mind, the only time I felt a part of something was when I was at Oldham because hmm. through the youth team for the reserves and then through the actual first team that's probably the longest period of actually being with the team where I felt comfortable and um, so I played for Rochdale for a little bit which was it was bad timing the manager was kind of new even he'll tell you now um, Steve Ayres his name his name is he He wasn't ready for that was Chesterfield for a while I think Steve Ayres yeah he was yeah yeah. a few years after that yeah but he, he, he'll admit he'll never go into management again I think he just wasn't ready I think um, the way it went just wasn't well for all parties really involved and um, we played um, Chesterfield we played Chesterfield in a cup and um, Johnson's paint I went, actually went into the office with, after the game because Ches was in with the manager Steve Ayres and I thought is Ches in there I was like yeah so I just thought I'd say hello to him and Tommy Wright Ducks I knew them all and um, not Ducks so it was just Tommy Wright and um, Ches and, and Norm and Matt Crossley mm. Yeah, they were in the office and with their managers and after the game, probably having a drink or something. I said, let's sit a little more. It's great to see him. And from there, yeah, moved on. And then obviously I spoke to my agent. And he said, um, would you ever go to Chesterfield with Shez again? I was like, of course I would. He <laughs> <laughs> said, um, Rochdale is obviously wishing my best, but if I can link up with, with uh, Shez and the lads, it goes, yeah, it'll be great. Fantastic. And then we ended up doing that. It was um, a loan with an option to buy. Yeah. which would have kept me there for, I think it would have been like a year and a half, wasn't it, I think, or back to near enough two years. And it was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed that time at um, Chesterfield. What's Chez like then? Because uh, obviously it's, we've, it's been back to Chesterfield a few times. It's obviously been back to Oldham quite a lot more times. But uh, I suppose our, as Chesterfield fans, our kind of appreciation of John Sheridan's gone down a bit just because of his last spell with us, it didn't end so well. Uh, with us but obviously he gave us that title winning season which was really good and the paint mm. the paint trophy final win as well so what what, what was what's he like from from your side of things um well says is probably in the city as well mm. in manchester and um his way of speaking to people is different to what people outside of the inner city would expect if that makes sense yeah so um i could i, could, I got shares only the way he was and nothing, I'll be honest the one thing with Shez if he was to say anything to you it's not personal he never it was never personal he'd be shouting all day on the pitch as you probably heard <laughs> what he's like but then afterwards come Monday morning or whatever it is he's completely fine 
So that's so even Wanja as well. So listen, in the game, I'll say this and that, but I need to understand it's not personal. And some players might have thought that. Some players might have thought it was um, it was personal, but I can honestly say if he did have a fallout, it was probably a player reacting to what he what the way he was talking to him on the pitch or in training. But then afterwards, it was always fine. He still treated them equally to somebody else. We'd never say, "Oh yeah, you're in the next day for talking to me." It's kind of okay. I said that to you, so I understand why you'd say it back. But make sure you perform for me. Yeah. That's the most important thing, really. So I think that was the dynamics in terms of um, the way his coach's style was. He's probably in terms of my management, he's probably one of the best managers I've actually played under him and Daryl Clark. It was um, just the way he was. I mean, even with the players, the players do respect him. He was funny as well. He's probably one of the funniest managers I've actually had as well. He was just, he was hilarious. <laughs> That's the best way I can, I can put it, just the way his personality is. And a lot of players that kind of were drawn to that as well. He's, um, in terms of his surviving mode, in terms, that's probably one of his strengths, isn't it? In terms of getting people out of the relegate, obviously it didn't work with Oldham, but they, were, they weren't far off considering where they've been yeah. over the past year or two. So yeah, that's his strength. And I think you can kind of get underneath your skin, which is kind of makes you perform better, which is, um, yeah, which is good. And obviously you have this season at Chesterfield where you guys kind of got promoted as well. You won the little trophy that Johnson's painted me, I'm sure. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll come on to that. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. Honestly, yeah, Ches is a manager. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, I can relate to him. Um, a lot of players felt that as well, especially in the youth team. Oldham, um, he brought so many, so much youth through. He just trusted, and even as an, um, at the time, I was probably coming into an experienced player. You could see how he how he worked and how he give other people a chance because I knew I need that chance, and he's given that to um, other players as well. So it's kind of more of like a it's definitely respect there. When you joined Chesterfield, it was obviously part part of it was like the November time, maybe I think. Um, when obviously the season had not started too well. And I've spoken to, to many players from that squad who said, oh, we kind of felt that the squad that we went into League One with was weaker than the squad that we won League Two with because Craig Davis had moved on, Jack Lester was a year older uh, and, and things like that. So you obviously came into a club that was struggling, didn't you? But you actually then became captain pretty quickly. Yeah, he was. I remember when he put me captain, we played, uh, we played Huddersfield away. And he put me captain now. Um, it was there was talk a little bit about that actually about the strikers going. Craig Davis was a big part. I think in League One, League Two, and even a conference, you're only as good as your strikers. Honestly, you are. If you have good strikers, there's a good chance you'll be able to move forward. And um, there's no wonder why Chesterfield kind of got promoted, especially under Jack Leicester and um, Craig Davis, going from League Two to League One. And um, at the time, we had Jack Lester, who was aging, but we had up and coming um, players coming through. It might have been a couple of years too soon in terms of trying to really establish ourselves. We probably just needed a bit more experience in there to help nurture the actual young lads at the time. And um, yeah, it, it, was, it was tough, the games, but it was still, you're always hopeful, aren't you, at the end of the day? I think none of us thought that we would get relegated. We just really thought that we could literally just crack on and really try to stay in the league really and um, we played Huddersfield away I think it was around was it Boxing Day or around Christmas time I'm not sure when it was but um, yeah I was made captain again it was just something right okay I can see why you've put me captain so I'll just try I'll try my best to do that and um, just crack on with it yeah obviously that season as well we won the Johnson's Paint Trophy so uh, and you you were cup tied (laughs) Um, yeah yeah that must be like pretty annoying if uh, what what kind of role do you then play in that cup run because obviously you've still got an important role to play if you're kind of captain and team around that time and yeah I'll just I'll just do it as if I'm, well, I'm still part of the team 
even though I'm not playing, I'm still part of the team where I'm so training with the players, I play with the players. So it's just more like, come on, lads. Like, I think in the semi-finals against Oldham, against Oldham, wasn't it? I think it was. And the passion I the passion I had on the bench, I was like a coach, honestly. I just wanted the lads just to kind of get over the line. It was outside of, without not playing, that was probably one of the best times I've actually had during that time because I just felt, even I wasn't playing and I didn't get the actual, I was, I was cup tied. I just felt, yeah, I felt part of that kind of situation and um so if they were doing well I just felt like I was doing well as well mm. in, a, in a sense so yeah I, I enjoyed it absolutely loved it obviously I'd love to play at Wembley but I was buzzing for the lads I was buzzing for the lads because they won but in the lads it's just it's you know it's a great day it was fantastic mm. it was it was just um it's great to be part of them being on, on the bench and just to see Wembley as well it was it, honestly it's absolutely buzzing with it obviously Craig Westcalf he scored the um the golden in beside him which was um exactly. yeah yeah <laughs> it's probably in his picture that in his bedroom isn't it but um yeah but yeah it's a great day it's honestly it's a fantastic day and um it kind of softened the blow a little bit considering what happened at the end of the season didn't it yeah, so yeah yeah Decanio as well with his big coat on it was. I mean, I was in the in the shade. In there was part of the part of Wembley that was in the shade, and we were freezing cold. But then you, you see the other side of the ground, and everyone was like in the shorts, <laughs> got no really? top on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Melting hot on one side of the ground and freezing on the other. But yeah, it was it was a fun day. Like you say, it does kind of soften the blow a bit, doesn't it? You kind of look back yeah. now, and the thing that we remember most from that season is a trip to Wembley and a uh, good bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But would you prefer to stay up or not, and not win the John Johnson's fight, or what, what would you have gone for? I'd be quite happy just winning the cup. Yeah, would you really? <laughs> yeah. Few, well, in hindsight, now you look at it, and uh, a few years later, we went back up again. So you kind of think, yeah. oh, well, actually, you know, sometimes the uh, the the little isolated moments sometimes make up for uh, something much bigger in terms of like a rally, yeah, exactly, or like that, yeah. He's onside here, Wescar. A chance to really crown it. Craig Wescar! The celebrations start for Chesterfield. That is a wonderful moment for them and for Craig Wescar. What, what were the partnerships like as well? Because you played with some pretty good defenders during your time at uh, Chesterfield. It was like um, it was like Simon Ford. Uh, yeah. It was... Uh, uh, to like Terrell Forbes around then, and Josh Thompson came in as well because you like formed yeah. a partnership, didn't you, with Josh Thompson in that? Yeah, half that season. yeah, the second half of that season, mm. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. um, Fordy at the beginning, he was um, he's great, Fordy. He um, he's like an old head, mm. he was an old head at the time, and I just got on really well with him. He was fine, he was such a nice, nice guy. I just got on really well with him, yeah. The, the, the lads were all of them were great, actually, to be honest. It's, but at the time, obviously, being a centre-half, Fordy was just really, never really isolated, never edged me out. He was just a nice guy to to be around and to play with. He was really good. And uh, I, remember, I remember the game against Sheffield Wednesday at home. I think we went 1-2-1, um, 1-0, one, one sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think me and him played centre-half. We played really well. And it was just at the end of the game, it was nice for us to kind of really do well against like a local rival. So, yeah, that was a memory I'll be Fordy and Thompson. He was a bit younger than me. It was just nice to form that partnership in terms of him um, being younger than me, just trying to help in the best way I can. Mm. And um, after that, Forbes, he was, I knew Forbes at Oldham. When I was, um, when I moved to Oldham in my first year after getting released from Burnley, he was in the first team under um, Ronnie Moore. 
so I kind of I knew him from there really I was I spoke to him a little bit when I was at Oldham but yeah Forge was great he was he was cool he was a nice guy and um, he moved on as well I think under Paul Cook didn't he so yeah it was, it was, it was nice it was great actually to be um, to play with those type of players and just just to play yeah. <laughs> more than anything yeah so yeah. yeah I think that season I played um, quite a few as well which was great for me yeah and that, that season after obviously John Sheridan got sacked didn't he uh, yeah quite early on in that season and Paul Cook came in Um and I was having a look. We've got a there's a great Chesterfield history website which has all of the results and who played when and everything else. And it looked like you probably had a bit of an injury around when Paul Cook came in. Um, what? Because you it took a while, didn't it, for you to kind of get into the team under under Paul Cook? But yeah, then, well, that pre-season that when Shed was actually the manager, I'd um, had an operation from a knee and I was out for well over a month. So I was out for the whole of pre-season. Um, I was in, and that's when they signed Herdy. Sam mm-hmm. Herd come in, and um, Herdy, it's funny, Herdy, what, to get Herdy into Chesterfield, he wanted to be captain. And um, obviously, going down a few ways, you know what I mean, if it means that wants to, which is quite a fair play. Herdy's great as well. Herdy's absolutely one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and he's a great player. But yeah, Shez put him captain. I think Shez didn't really have to say much to me. He's like, trust he's He's coming in as captain, and um, it's part of his. Um, that's what I want to do. So it's fine. It's not going to. It's not going to stop me from trying to perform at my best. And um, that was fine. And um, got on really well with Verdi. He was great, but I was injured. And um, Finconi had a week's pre-season, and we played the first game. I never forget it was against Wimbledon, and I just wasn't. I was just so unfit. And um, the team, I don't know what it was. We had a great. We had the lads. We were we had enough to win the league. It's just obviously we got to a shaky start. And I generally do think if if says um, was given longer, we would have got we would have got promoted with ease. If I'm being honest, we had a, such a good team just at the time. We just wasn't we couldn't gel. We had a few. We had, I wasn't the only one injured as well. Some of the big players were um, gone injured as well, so we didn't really have a chance to really play together. But obviously, football it's a result based, isn't it? So you kind of Shaz got edged, well, Shaz got sacked, didn't he? That's when Paul Cook um, Cook arrived. He um, when did Paul Cook arrive? Was it in the October, November, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, we'd obviously played that game against Accrington that ended 4-3 to us, I think it was, and that ended up uh, putting the wheels in motion, I think, for him coming in, I think. Yeah, because of the way um, because of the way he played, I think the, the chairman like the style of play, didn't he? Like, yeah. Something like, yeah, something <laughs> like that. And <laughs> Which is um, funny coming from the changing rooms when we heard about that. But um, it's like... The accomplice of what does he know about? How, do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it was just interesting the way that was kind of relayed back to the lads in the changing room. But um, yeah, he arrived. Obviously, I wasn't even fit, probably still, even in November. I just, I just couldn't add little niggles as well. And then Paul Cook arrived. He uh, made it clear that he wanted to keep and he wanted to let go. I was part of the team, the part of um, the players he wanted to let go. And um, which was, yeah, managers have their own style, which is fair enough, which is, uh, I like to think I've been in this position before in terms of having to fight for something. Um, if it me, if it meant me moving on, that's fine. But at the time, I did actually get injured, and at the time, I thought if I was on my game, I generally do feel I was better than the rest of the lads. It was just the way I've, I've, I've kind of believed in myself. But at the time, if I'm being honest, even around 24, 25, I was starting to kind of decline in terms of me being able to play my proper game, which is to be um, agile, everything to get there, to be quick. I mean, my knees were really. They were shot to bits actually. My left one was really poor. I think I'm at that probably at 24, 25. 
and left knee is probably at 70%. And you can't really get away with not jumping, can you? <laughs> and using my left leg is usually my take what was my takeoff leg in the um, youth team even growing up but I couldn't I couldn't even take off my leg if you look close at games I'm not sure you will but um, I never usually pass with my left foot how is it because any little bad pass it would trigger something and my knee would be absolutely like a shooting pain so it's always where that's at 24 and uh, so I had to really adjust my game and um, yeah Paul Cookie he didn't at that time. He wasn't. He didn't want me, which was fair enough. He's a manager. He had his own style, and he's actually Paul Cook's really nice as well. I wish him all the best. And he's actually. I spoke to him after I retired, and he was just so nice to me. If he needed anything after that, he was like he was very inviting, and, uh, and welcoming as well. In terms of when I actually approached him and vice versa, so there was no hard, hard feelings there. And even then, um, yeah, it was tough at the time because at the time I was injured. I got injured, I pulled my hamstring in a reserve game. That's when scouts were watching because I was nearly going to Northampton with um, Chris Wilder at the time. I nearly moved there. They were interested, and at that time I was like. I'm not sure. I'm, okay, yeah, I'm not playing so why not? But then I pulled my hamstring, which kept me out for like four or five weeks. And at the time, I, I sensed Paul Cook was so gutted. He was angry that I got injured, but nothing I could do. And he wasn't, if you ask him now, in fact, if you do actually meet him again, say, what was you like with Trots when he, um, when he got injured? You kind of wanted to get him out. It'd be interesting to see his answer, to hear his answer. He, um, it, was, it was funny. It was kind of like, um, like cat and mouse in a way, the way he was with me. He, he knew he wanted to get me out, but he knew he couldn't do anything about it, but he, he was still gutted because he couldn't get me out if you know what I mean so um, I was used to see me there I was like Trots any chance of you getting fit and going and I was like it's not my fault you know what I mean I need to stay here I just need to get fit more than anything And uh, but I wasn't like me being the way I was anyway I was never a bad egg with him never was and that's not in my nature to be like that um, and also kind of there's a little thing in my back of my mind thinking I, have to, I could still play I yeah. could still actually play and if I was to play I generally do feel I'd be I'd do well because I feel like I can match anybody really there's one game he um he threw me in against Northampton I think it was in Northampton against Sacking Fenway at the time um and yeah he, he threw me in played really well played really really well I think I might have been close to getting one of the match in that game but obviously if I yeah, should have scored it was Northampton yeah it was, was the, it, yeah January the 12th uh yeah we won, won 3-0 that day just have a look at the yeah he, he scored you know uh, so it was. It looks like it was Mark, Mark Richards and uh, Mark Richards got two. Jay O'Shea got the got the third. Yeah, so yeah, you know, home win. So, yeah, so one of those players would have got one of the match. But personally, if you think, if you ask even Paul Cook at the time, I probably was. I, I played really well. I think I, I can remember only played about sixty to seventy minutes because he just didn't have no impact in the game. I think at the time it was me and Coops at the back. And um, yeah, me and Coops at the back, and I heard he was sitting in front of us. And um, yeah, I was pleased with the way I played. I got back in the changing rooms. And to be fair to Paul Cook, he was, um, he called me out in front of everyone in the changing rooms and he said, I want a special shout out, to, well, not shout out, but a special um, well done to Trot. He had given what he's, come, what he's been through and with the club for the past couple of weeks, past couple of months actually, for him to come back and to perform like that, like full credit to you, which was nice, which is really nice for me. And um, yeah, I think from that from that game, I think I played the rest all the rest of the games that season. Yeah, I'm just having, I'm just having a look now. Yeah, you came in, you were on the sub bench for like four games, and then you came in against that game against Northampton, and then yeah, you played every single game until the end of that season. So it was uh, yeah, you and you and Cooper, wasn't it? And uh, and like say Hurdy as well that were kind of in that defence. I mean, yeah. out in the playoffs, we finished like eighth. So it was. Sorry, say that again. 
finished like eighth, so it was pretty close to just yeah, us, but maybe just a bit too a uh, couple of games away, maybe from getting in there. Yeah, I think we needed a few more games to kind of get in there because we, we were on a great run, yeah. and uh, just swapping we missed out. And um, even though even during those games though. And I was going to Petra and Key, I'm going to perform great, but I just knew I wasn't there. My, my body was literally, I won't say deteriorated, but I just wasn't, my knees, I just wasn't, I could never get to 100% ever. I think my knee was there at 70. It was only going to get worse, my knee. And um, my right knee was starting to kind of hurt a little bit as well. And um, so during my time at Preston, at um, Chesterfield, I had one operation, yeah. So I think I've had an operation at every single club I've been at, <laughs> near enough. When I spoke to uh, Tommy Lee, he kind of was uh, quite honest about the amount of painkillers he took throughout his career and injections and all that kind of stuff. You know, he said it was just ridiculous how much stuff he was pumping into his body just to like get through 19 yeah. matches with his, it was his shoulder, wasn't it, that he'd had problems with from when he was a teenager. So were you kind of similar? Were you a... Every day. I, thought, well, I was on painkillers since I was in the youth team. I was like, my knee was that bad. And um, that's why he moved to Preston. I was like, wow, oh, my knee is shot to bits. So imagine if I can even get to full fitness, what I'm actually like. That's why I believed in myself a lot more. But in terms of if I can get a move for half a million with half a leg, yeah. can you imagine, do you know what I mean? With the right help, can you, if my knee was to get to a point where it's kind of near enough 100%, can you imagine what I'll, be, what I'll be able to perform like? But obviously I never got to that um, level. But um, yeah, painkillers was, was, was a must, if anything, anti-inflammers. Yeah. And um, sorry, what are they like now? Well, um, prior when I retired at 28, I um, had four operations on my left knee to really get it right. I mean, I've got a, I've got a metal plate in it at the moment. Well, I, well, I've got a metal plate in it, and um, yeah, I can go for runs, but I can't play football anymore. But at the same time, given what I've gone through in my career, I'm quite happy not to, <laughs> just due to the pain I've been in. And um, yeah, it's not. It's probably always be 70% in terms of I will have to always have to wise after I do like a workout. But um, yeah, I needed to, it's fine. I can go for a run, that's the main thing for me. Well, it's interesting because like um, Andy Morris, who uh, big Chesterfield legend scored in the FA Cup semi-final, he said that there's some days he will walk down the stairs and he feels like an 80-year-old. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he said, you know, the amount of, the amount of stuff you put your body through in quite a short, Football career is probably what most people put their whole body through in a lifetime. Exactly, exactly. I think um, a surgeon said to me, I think he, I think he was in the early 20s, was it a Preston operation? He said, yeah, your you, you knee is probably about a 60-year-old at the time. And I was only 20, I thought, right, yeah, cheers. But um, yeah, the body, uh, like what I put my, my body through to get to a certain, just to, to play at a certain level is, yeah, it was, um, think about it now, it's, yeah, you, you have to put your, you have to, put yourself through it to get to a certain level and yeah if I said go back to the start of your career will you do it all over again <laughs> what would you say uh, do you know what it depends if I still get to this point in terms of me being a therapist because I love that I feel like I found my new passion in that but yeah no I would yeah but at the same time my knee would be a lot better than what it is now I think at the start then <laughs> so um, yeah no I'd do it yeah I would I'd definitely do it all again 100%. yeah Sheffield Wednesday travelled to Chesterfield, looking to complete a first league double over their opponents since the 1949-50 season. The Owls had won the reverse fixture in October at Hillsborough by three goals to one. 
Gary Maxson's team have suffered a setback though in their target of automatic promotion after back-to-back -back defeats. They started brightly here, Ryan Lowe nearly gave them the lead. But the club lying second from bottom were giving as good as they got and they very nearly went in front through Liam Reithauge. His effort well saved by Stephen Bywater. But then Owls midfielder John Bostock made a clumsy challenge on a Joseph. And the referee gave the penalty. Substitute Dean Morgan confidently dispatched the kick on 78 minutes to score his first goal in over two months. The visitors didn't buckle though, went in search of an equaliser. The closest they came, a Rob Jones header which Tommy Lee expertly kept out. It finished 1-0, Chesterfield's fight against relegation continues to gather pace. Wednesday's automatic promotion push is stuttering. Well, let's let's finally go on to like post post career then. So obviously you finished, you had a spell at spell at Plymouth, and then you had a spell at Bristol Rovers, where I think it was like promotion at, at the end of that last season. I don't know how yeah. much kind of that season, but oh. um, and then you finished at like 28. Was it 28 that you finished up? Yeah, well, quickly I played for um, Plymouth, and um, Shez was the manager, and um, he bought me to us. Said like, trust, I can't give you a contract. Like, I know you, and I know you, you you're not moving as well as what you should like to somebody who knows you I know you're not like in terms of you're, you're not your best and your knees are really like shot to bits and it gave us so I can't I can't give you a contract based on that which was fair enough to be honest he was honest with me and um I probably should have retired then actually and um, football because my knee was really it was in bits I could I could play but it was literally I was near enough 50 percent and I've probably even at Chesterfield under Paul Cook I was probably 60% honestly I was really struggling after games and even before just to kind of maintain a level of fitness where I could compete and um, yeah so Shez kind of released me then and even I was thinking should I retire but then I got a call off Marcus Stewart and at Bristol Rovers who just got relegated and Daryl Clark was the manager and he said do you want to come and help us like you're an experienced player you'll definitely be able to help the young lads and just obviously you'll get the games and believe me once you're playing you'll play throughout the whole season and to be fair once I kind of established myself in the team I was playing a lot and I was doing really well but again um, my knee wasn't right at all it just wasn't I was really really struggling even at training I used to break down in training just because my knee would stop I'd be winning and my knee just wasn't right and I'd have to stop because I couldn't carry on and um, I retired I ended up retiring at Bristol Rovers and um surgeon at the time because I I think I had my first operation in, during the time at Bristol like in March and um my knee was just it was awful and they did try to trim it just couldn't try and get me to play again got infected twice during that so um I had one yeah I had one operation before the end of the season retired in the January in the July the surgeon said you can't do it anymore and I really want to shake his arm when he said you can't play anymore it was just kind of I needed someone to kind of say yeah you can't do it anymore so stop it basically and um, yeah, it was nice. I thought like, oh, what would I feel like if I was to ever not play football again? But I can honestly say I felt like I had my life back in that sense. And um, during that season, I'd, prior to that, I had another three operations. And following that year, I had um, a pick line coming out my my arm to give into my heart to give me the the, um, the antibiotics what I needed just to kind of stop me from getting infected, etc. So it was tough actually during that time. And um, um, my wife actually I remember um, saying she was like what do I do I said well I'm doing a property but it's, I don't think it's my passion it's not my passion at all 
He said, why don't you get into psychology? Because um, it's something you, you'd be really good at. And I feel like the way you are, you'd be able to help a lot of people, especially a lot of players. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But I think that was just more of like a natural thing. I didn't really think about it in a career. I was just naturally... Because even, even the team talks with the managers, I'd always see the angle, what the, I knew what the manager was going to say and his approach to it and why he said that. So I was always kind of into that psychology side of it and how he'd react. So there were some managers who said this to a player, I'd be like, I probably wouldn't have said that to him because he needs to be approached in a different way. And uh, so even not realising, I was kind of still inclined that way. And um, the wife said, look at this, like, I look at this course. I looked at the course. This was in January of 2018. So I've looked at it, I went to an, um, an introductory course in March. Yeah, I haven't looked back since. Um, it's my fourth year into it now. And um, yeah, so now I'm like a, a qualified psychotherapist, which is fantastic. It really is. It's um, something which is, I feel my passion to where I want to do in terms of being a footballer. I'm getting the same passion towards this, which is something which is um, really good. Um, helping out footballers and working with Sporting Chance. You know, um, the charity, I think well, Tony Adams did, um, he's a co-founder of it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist now with Sporting Chance. I've been with a lot of footballers from international down to the lower leagues in terms of um, the conference or the national league now. So um, that's something I've got my hands in now, which is really, really, I'm actually really proud of given what I've been through in my career, um, having to bow through certain injuries, illnesses as well with a stroke, um, being released, not playing, being injured. Um, the way managers can talk to you and the way you respond, I feel like I can give that back in terms of helping your like or anyone. Career as a as a whole, and you can see why it fits perfectly. You doing this because, like you say, you have dealt with pretty much everything that a footballer would possibly have to deal with in a career. Yeah, um, so yeah, so much experience, and like you say, with the kind of having the experience of playing at a, a higher level, and then obviously finishing up with like Bristol Rovers I suppose players wherever they are and whoever they're playing with you can kind of relate to where they're at and and, and what they're doing and what's happening yeah 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 definitely I've played in all leagues in terms of apart from the Premier League so I can understand what the intensity is like there and um also and all the clubs I've actually been so I never felt like I've never had an issue with any of the managers ever it was always just it is what it is um I'll try my best if it's not what you want or what you need or you're going a different direction that is fair enough but it won't stop me from being who I am and um, yeah so given the job I'm in now in terms of being a psychotherapist it's great as well because being from in a city a black a black man now and at the time I was a black boy young to have that summer figure who can I relate to you who can relate it's, it's, it's unbelievable um, I've got a lot of clients now from the inner city who kind of needed you need somebody like me to kind of give a um it's help really more than anything it's so important to have somebody you can kind of look up to you can trust and also who's been through quite a bit of stuff as well in terms of uh, emotional strain uh, especially throughout my football career um, I was fortunate to have the family who were very supportive so I've got my mum my dad my sister my brother and now my wife, my wife but a lot of people don't have that I'd say a lot of people some people don't have that and need somebody else who can, uh, you can support him and I'd like to think that I can do that to a lot of people a lot of kids a lot of adults I feel like I've lived a little bit. I've lived, um, I've lived a privileged life as well, but I've also been there. I've had the hard side of it. And um, I feel like I've got a lot to give to men and women and boys and girls, which I do now. I've got a lot of um, clients who are under 18 as well. My youngest is 12. And um, yeah, I just feel like I've got a lot of um, knowledge and experience in order to help them mentally, emotionally, get over a few obstacles that might be happening in their lives right now. 
How do you think uh, football could change? To because obviously you hear a, a lot about what players are going through and uh, and maybe the issues that are more pertinent into in kind of football at the moment. So what? How do you think if you had a magic magic wand and you could change a couple of things? What What would you think uh, would be a good place to start? Um, in my opinion, I think every football club have a duty of care. I do. I think it has a duty of care to help. Um, the kids, because that's who it is. Like the, I mean, your first thing you originally get um, the players, they are like, the kids. Um, I think it's the duty of care to look after them mentally. Um, even if you feel like they're not an asset, they still need help. Um, just think about it. Once you leave school, you're still a kid. Say, and usually um, you get called by your nickname. Say, for me, it could be Trots. So I'll be Trots at 16 going into football. Um Trots from obviously from football, so that there you the attention you get, oh, you're the best, you're great. That kid trots has never been really able to develop into who Neil Trotman is, as it's always trots the um the football, he's fantastic, he's great, obviously not, not just me, like other players. So so by the time they retire, probably at 20 years later, still that young trots, oh, how you doing? And that adult has never been able to develop because you've always just been in that limelight, which is just so bizarre you've had at 16 or even 18 to 20 you have probably 50 60 year olds adoring you and that's a weird dynamic isn't it like you're looking out you've got like 56 with your name on the back you're like wow i'm just like i'm a kid still so your adult hasn't developed and obviously when you retire what do you do what do you do in your time what's your identity who you are as a person who are you you're not a footballer anymore who you've just been told to be or you're not going to be your life so who's that person who's that neil trotman really and um, I feel that's why a lot of the players do struggle after football because they don't have an identity. All they know is football. They don't know them, the true self in terms of, obviously, if it's Neil Trotman or myself, hasn't developed. I was fortunate to have a family who kind of kept me grounded and I knew who I was, even during the injuries. I think, that's what, I think that was probably the main thing, actually, what kind of got me through it. Um, I was a footballer, but first and foremost, I, I was Neil Trotman, a brother, a son, a friend. And uh, football was great, but that was mainly for my ego, if anything. Um, I think from football, if you want to be a footballer, it's, it's usually a childhood dream, isn't it? But once you get into another, what's your adult dream? But because you haven't really been allowed to dream like that, it's always been you're a footballer, you're a footballer that hasn't developed and you've uh, retired. So what do you do to kind of um, get through that? You find it because footballers are addicted to football. Your passion is really to focus on that. And if you're used to that addiction in terms of focusing on something when you retire, what else have you got to focus on? It could be drugs. It could be gambling it could be whatever and that's where they direct it into really so after football like, who am I what's my identity I'm dealing with a few players now I'm just working their identity and who they are outside of football because football is always going to be temporary no matter who you are being a footballer is always going to be a short-term thing it's just kind of recognizing who you are long term really but um, back to your original question in terms of um what um clubs can do I feel even at 16 or 18 at 18 you're going to get released there's a lot of players who get released and even clubs from uh, even players in their 20s get released I got released and the can also say join my time of getting released nobody really called to say how are you doing what, what's happening what, where are you up to now it's mainly if you know if you're no longer an asset or any of use to them they'll get rid of you and who cares so I think it's I think a club should have a duty even if it's just the players within a year of getting released they should, be, they should have contact from that previous club to say, how are you getting on? Do you need any help? And I think that will help a lot of players. I think it's so important because that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen unless you're friendly with a, few, with a manager or you know some of the players. They don't really ask you because oh, you just crack on and you've forgotten about straight away. And um, I still feel as a, for clubs, I think it's their duty to see if you kind of 
sign that player now you're moving them on it's your duty to help them and see how they're getting on if they need help yeah provide it. clubs have got money if it's say therapist now therapists can say charge 50 pounds 50 pounds a week for a, a club um times that by three if you need three players you need help that's nothing it's free it's 150 a week um obviously that's 600 a month what 600 a month trying to help somebody's welfare welfare do you know what i mean and mentally I, i'd feel like that's what clubs can do i think that goes a long way just to call up and say how you doing you've got a club how you financially what your family like and etc do you need help and yeah. i think nine times out of ten a lot of players will do that knowing that they're confiding someone and somebody you know like generally just care and that's the reason why a lot of um footballers don't find it hard afterwards they don't they can't speak to anybody because they've been idolized they've been told they're great and once they feel like they're not great anymore it's a bit embarrassing for them as well so who can we talk to so i think straight after of getting released ask them how they are because at the end of the day at 16 18 that boy is still a boy even at 36 because you've never been able to develop you've been told you're great it's a it's a bubble football it really is it's just um once you kind of realize that afterwards it's just like wow it's so incredible well it's interesting as well because i've spoken to a lot of footballers uh obviously you're number 50 and it's a common thing in that a question i've kind of got used to asking them asking quite a few players is what's your relationship with football like now because there's so many that i've spoken to that have said you know they spent quite a few years not watching any football <laughs> not playing fifa not watching any football not wanting anything to do with it just because either they because their career maybe didn't end in a way that they wanted it to end they got released and didn't find another club or they had bad injuries or something like that and it is a common thing that actually it takes quite a long time for people to actually just be able to watch a football match on tv again because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to follow up with it yeah the game they feel betrayed by football is like the reason why they got into football wasn't for this feeling afterwards if that makes sense, and um, join what happens in football. Even I think even join your playing career, I don't think it's great. I just think there's a lot of distractions. Even if you feel low, you can easily just go out on a night out and get the attention you want or need. Um, and also play, play, playing playing football on the pitch isn't necessarily a bad thing because it can be a good release for a lot of players. And also that it's a coping mechanism. And once that's taken away from them, what do you do to cope? Like I said before, it could be alcohol to dissociate more than anything. And um, again, that's where I think there's a lot of work to be done in the game. Um, but I, I do watch a lot of football. I think when I retired from football, my way of dealing with it was to watch football, go to games. I'm a football agent as well. And um, even now as a football agent, thinking I could help um, a lot of players, not really as I could do that doing psychotherapy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, kind of worked, yeah, so it worked out well. So my way of kind of being involved just to watch. I do love playing football. I'm watching football. I've always, the reason why I got into football is because... I love watching it. Uh, if I can't play, I'd rather watch. That's how I do. You know I mean, that's that's the best way to put it for me. But um, yeah, and so, uh, players do fall out and love it because they feel like it hasn't treated them well. I feel like they're just forgotten about. At one point, you were great, and now fans can be fickle, managers can be fickle, even players can be fickle, and um, they feel okay. I've got somebody who once loved me. If I was great, I'm not even bothered about me anymore. So, what does that feel like for me? You go back into that child, and how do you, how do you deal with how do you deal with it when you're a child? You kind of can easily dissociate when you're a child, and you, something's going wrong. But when you retire, you're an adult. What do you do to dissociate? Doing adult stuff, which is alcohol, drugs, etc. That's your way of dissociating, and that's when people turn to um, gambling for addiction, just to take their mind off whatever it is, and also that chase as well. What they used to get when that adrenaline rush from football. So it's getting that balance and getting the right help to kind of 
establish who you are as a person because football isn't who you are. It's what you used to kind of, it's something you was good at more than anything. It's obviously which paid really well. And um, the attention on it is just incredible. Like I said, when you're 17, 18, even 19 playing in the first team, you've got grown adults really like supporting you, like being like obsessed and like, sign this. It's just like, okay, that's that's to me, that's not, that's that's a weird thing to experience. It really is. Um, it's just bizarre because in a, in a normal life, when would, when would that ever happen? It wouldn't, but it's just obviously with football and also with um, the fans, a lot of fans take it to heart and it's just like, wow. Well, so that's football... the last question. <laughs> the question was going to be, what can, how can fans react a bit differently? Because I've noticed since I've been recording this podcast and speaking to footballers that I've reacted in a completely different way at football matches. Because you actually think, oh, actually, that, that player might be going through something at the moment. That player... Do they really need to get pelted with comments if they're just a bit out of form? You know, it's just, like you say, it's a strange, it's a strange relationship, isn't it? That one between fans and fans and players and everything else. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, it's um, I think it'll probably always be like that as much as you don't want it to be like that because football is a bubble, and a lot of footballers and managers will not let any fan in that bubble. Mm. It's too um, they don't want this. You'd be left too vulnerable the way fans because in terms of being if you're a footballer. You've been kind of you've been taught professionally from 14 up until you're in your 20s playing, and a fan just to come into that without that knowledge and experience will never really be able to get it, unfortunately. I don't need to downplay anybody in terms of a fan, but it's just that's pure and simple. If I were to all of a sudden want to be a lawyer now, and someone who's um who's trained them to be a lawyer for seven years, I'm not gonna have that much knowledge. So my opinion is only what I see at first hand, not what's going what not what's gone in probably. 10 15 years prior to that so in terms of education and knowledge there's a, there's a, there is a bit of a mismatch there so when a fan gives an opinion on something which they only see on the pitch it's this for a player it's hard to take because they don't know what's happened the past the previous 10 15 years of getting to that point and um fans can like they're opinionated like even though i'm on the tv and i watch my team united you can be opinionated but at the same time it's really important to understand that if you're having something if something's going on in your life which is mentally straining there's a good one 100% of footballers will go through that they're not superheroes they do have feelings just because you see them on TV playing great and doing something good doesn't mean that they're untouchable and they don't have feelings they're literally people in their lives like pass away um, they struggle mentally they're normal people for whatever you experience outside of um, your workplace we footballers do as well and um, I was going to say something which is really important man with, with football if it was a normal nine to five job a lot of people wouldn't be invested as much it's just the fact that because you might be a bit, a bit of a hobby you feel like you can pass your comment on as somebody who's trying their best that's ultimately somebody who's actually trying the best to do something in the, the shot down and also from that point of view players are just how can you trust anybody if you do a crossing it's bad or you hear somebody's like oh yeah this and that and how do you expect to trust anybody coming outside of football so if somebody's arguing that you're kind of like you're a bit nervous just because you don't know what they're thinking. It's um, it's a tough one as well because you know how much it means to the fans, but at the same time, you know you can't trust them because in a week's time, they will be the same ones who it will will have your head really <laughs> more than anything because you can sign an autograph to somebody, then probably the week later, they'll be shouting all sorts at you. So it's a bit it's trust issues there, definitely. I'd say week's a long time in football, isn't it? <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, it is. Well, well, thanks so much for coming on and having a chat. I've... Uh... It's, it's been really interesting to get your perspective on things. And it's great to see that post-football, post you, you're like still in the game and helping people out and passing on that experience. It's, and obviously working with sports and chance, it's a great, 
great bunch of people to be working with as well. So hope it all uh, go really well. And hopefully we'll see you at a Chesterfield game sometime. You never know. If you've got any players that you send in to us, we could probably do with a couple. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably. I'm going to speak to Paul Cock, actually, because he's there, isn't he? I think if it's not this season and if he stays next season, I don't think he'll have much issue. I'll come back up into League Two. I think it's um, it's a big ask for him to, I, I believe, to get promoted this season. But I think um, he'll try his best. And given what he's um, what's happened previously at Chesterfield with Paul Cook, there's no, I don't see why he couldn't do it either this season possibly, which would be hard. But next season or so, so I'll probably say it'll be favourites. Yeah. Definitely, Paul Cook against um, John Sheridan would be interesting, wouldn't it? I know, yeah, quite. 